circle green. Test, test, okay, you can hear me now. Good morning, ladies. We are on lesson 14 in our books, which is the end of Romans 9 and all of chapter 10. And we're going to start off by reading the passage, and I've asked Connie if she would come up and read it for us. So if you'd like to open up your Bibles to Romans 9, verse 30, and then up to the end of 10, which is 21. Romans 9, 30 to 10, 21. What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a, real, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith believe comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But if Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Thanks, Connie. <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord, we come to you now, eager to hear what you want to teach us today. We thank you for your word, for this book of Romans that we've been studying. 
May you speak to us all, giving us all the desire to listen, to hear, and to understand and to apply it all to our own personal lives. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So Gladys was um, a dear lady who faithfully attended a little Baptist church in a small hometown. She helped care for the babies in the nursery. She went to every social function, always being sure to bring a plate of her famous egg salad sandwiches and double chocolate chip cookies. She was a door greeter who shared a smile and a firm handshake with everyone who came through the doors of the church. She was part of the knitting guild, crafting blankets and other items for the missionaries. Gladys was a sweet lady that everyone loved. She was generous too. She made meals for the sick and she could be seen putting a large white envelope into the offering plate every Sunday. She read her Bible, she prayed, she fasted. One day at women's Bible study, the teacher asked her to share something. Gladys, tell us why God will let you into heaven. Well, she was surprised at the question, but without hesitation and with a beaming smile, she replied, because I'm so good and all good people get to heaven. I'm nice to everyone. I serve at church and give my money to the poor. Oh, how I've pleased God and earned his favor. I've done so many good deeds and now he will reward me and save a place for me in heaven. And so the Jews, too, were as about, about as religious as anyone could be. Keeping the law of Moses was of utter importance to them. Keeping the Sabbath holy, tithing, fasting, praying, they had zeal. They were sincere. But all the religious activity, all their effort, it was all on the surface. They were trying to obtain righteousness through obeying the law following the rules by their own efforts, by their own works. They failed to trust God. They failed to recognize God for who he was. They rejected the message of salvation and were ignorant of God's grace and mercy. They were obedient, or at least they tried to be obedient to the law, and in turn became self-righteous instead of recognizing that righteousness is by faith and not by the law. Last week, Bev showed us in chapter 9 how Paul was sorrowed and anguished as he addressed the issue of Israel's unbelief, how he loved them so much and was so torn that their hearts were so hardened. Paul addressed the fact that the nation of Israel is not the same as the true people of God. These are two different groups. We saw that God's true people are defined by his choice. They are chosen by him not by ancestry or how good or how worthy they are. God foreknew, predestined, called, justified, and glorified all those that are saved. And in God's sovereignty, many Jews were not chosen. It was never his sovereign plan to save all the Jews. Some would reject him. Some would receive him by faith. God's true people would be Jews as well as Gentiles. We have to understand that he has mercy on whom he wishes, and all is for his glory. God carries out his purpose. Now in this week's lesson, Paul starts off in verse 30 with the question, what shall we say then? So why else is there unbelief amongst the majority of Israel? What's going on right now? What's presently happening with Israel? This time we're going to be looking at it from a human perspective, from Israel's perspective. 
Paul compares the Gentiles and the Jews and how God's word and his message of salvation was handled, how they both viewed righteousness differently. First, the Gentiles, they simply heard the good news that was shared with them. And when grace was extended to them by God, the Gentiles received it. They humbled themselves and believed that Jesus Christ is Lord and they received righteousness by faith through Christ. But many of Israel rejected him. They looked to the law that was given to them and felt that they were good enough. They could do everything through their own efforts. If only they were obedient to the law, that was good enough. They were good enough. Their own efforts were good enough. They weren't sinners. They didn't need a savior. Their unbelief was strong. In verse 29, it says, Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. They didn't trust God for righteousness. They ignored his offer to be rescued from sin. They trusted in their own abilities and were self-righteous. And so in rejecting Christ, they stumbled over him. Christ being our cornerstone, the foundation or rock in which people of God is to be built. The Jews neglected this rock, tripping, stumbling. If we think back through the previous chapters that we studied, you might remember that Paul explained how, yes, the law was good. It was given to the Jews for their benefit so they might know how to live. But he also showed them that the law did something else. It defined what is right and wrong. It showed that sin is wrong. It showed them how sinful they are. It made sin increase. And it magnified that we all need his saving grace, that we indeed are sinful and we are in need of a savior, that we can't do anything by our merit to become right with God. But Israel didn't get it. They stumbled. Gladys didn't get it. She stumbled. Salvation is only by the grace of God received by faith, not received by good works. It's great and wonderful for Gladys to be able to do all those things, to serve, to give, to love. Now, don't get me wrong, because I love it when one of you stops by and drops by home-baked cookies, double chocolate chip cookies on my desk. (laughs) And missionary families are thrilled to receive hand-knitted blankets and there's nothing like entering into the front doors of the church and being greeted with a big hug and a smile but all these things should be driven by grace and it shouldn't be driven to attain salvation Gladys was trying to prove her righteousness to herself to others but especially to God by being good and sweet and generous and not by solely trusting and having faith in Jesus Christ for her salvation Oh, how Paul loved and cared so deeply for Israel. We saw that back in chapter 9 when he wished he would be damned so that they would be saved. His heart was broken. And now again in verse 1 of chapter 10, Paul writes that his heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. They didn't see their need for a savior. They continued to believe that attaining righteousness is by works. He gives them credit, though, that they were zealous for God. They had good intentions. They desired to please God and to do his will. Even Paul, before his conversion, he was zealous for God, observing rites and ceremonies, obeying through the law and through works. And then Paul was on his way to destroy the Christians. 
So many were zealous for God, but they distorted God's word. They didn't recognize or understand the whole truth and rejected the message of salvation. Israel didn't get it. They missed it. Even their Old Testament ancestors had the law, and they didn't get it. They missed it. They failed to see that they couldn't keep the law, yet they felt they were trying to be obedient to the law. They had good intentions and zeal for God, yet they didn't submit to the righteousness of God. They sought for their own righteousness, building and worshiping idols. They sought satisfaction and fulfillment in the world. When was the last time that our heart was sincerely broken, giving us such a burden for someone who was lost? Was there ever a time that we could say, as Paul said, that our heart's desire and prayer to God is for our friend or our neighbor or our co-worker to be saved? We must care and pray for them. We don't know if they're God's elect or not, whether God has chosen to save them or not. That should never stop us from praying for them. We can't understand God's sovereign will, but we do know that he works in and through us to accomplish his will. In verse 4, Paul writes, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who (coughs) believes. And John Stott puts it this way, But now that Christ has accomplished our salvation by his death and resurrection, he has terminated the law in that role. The law existed to point people to Christ. All the Old Testament rituals and sacrifices pointed to and were fulfilled in Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 5:17, "Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them." We are to look to Christ to fulfill who fulfilled the law. But instead, Israel looked to the law for righteousness. They tried to be made right with God through their own efforts, their energy and perfection, <coughs> through their knowledge and zeal. Christ is the goal of the law, yet he was their stumbling block. So in the next few verses, Paul brings out that there are two kinds of righteousness. There's faith righteousness and there's works righteousness. He starts off in verse 5 by making a partial reference to Moses as Moses was warning Israel concerning self-effort. The law of Moses, if you want to live by it, you must do it. And you must do it completely and perfectly. But if you break one law, you're guilty of all. And no one can be perfect. We have a sinful nature. We all sin. So if your salvation depended on perfect obedience to the law, we can see that failing right now. But the righteousness of faith is based on Jesus. We don't have to work to get to Jesus. Let's look at verses 6 and 7. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will ascend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. We don't need to go to the highest height or descend down to the deepest. We don't have to look high or low to find Jesus. We don't have to go any place to access God. He has already come. We can immediately receive righteousness by faith by simply trusting in God's revealed word, by simply trusting in Christ. It's not as difficult as salvation by works is. There's a little handout that I made that's um, on your tables in the middle. If you all want to grab one and take a, a look at the, the side that looks like them on the board, and we'll fill in the blanks together. There's a com- 
comparison of righteousness by law and righteousness by faith. And we'll just, fill, you know, you can fill in, fill in the blanks on your paper, but let's work on it together. So righteousness by law is based on works. And righteousness by faith is based on faith alone. By law, it is what kind of, how are you centered on this? Self. Self. Everything's on self. And righteousness by faith is Christ-centered. By law, it cannot, it cannot save. And by faith, it brings salvation. Out of obligation, you need to obey the rules. The law, same. And out of joy, you call on the ruler. And everything being to self, this would lead to, starts with P, lead to pride. And by faith glorifies God. Let's now take a look at verses 8 to 13. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And then he quotes the prophet Isaiah. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. And then quoting the Old Testament again, this time from Joel's prophecy, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There it is, the gospel message. And it was even spoken of in the Old Testament. Jesus came down, lived a perfect life, died for us, was raised to life. He defeated sin and death. He ascended into heaven. He now sits on the throne at the right hand of God, and we long for his return. By simple faith in him, we are saved. Jews, Gentiles, everyone, no matter what your background is, no matter where you came from, all are accepted. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. To confess, to call, to believe to confess or agree that his work on the cross is the only way of salvation. To call on him is to declare or profess with your mouth that he is Lord. To believe in your heart, not just your head, not just knowledge of Christ, but a deep, sincere, genuine trust in him, resting and depending on him with full confidence. The simple gospel message. We don't have to make it complicated. Yet Israel rejected it anyways. 
the simple gospel message, good news. But how does this gospel message get out? Let's now look at verses 14 to 17. Paul asks a number of logical questions. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So there are steps laid out in this passage. And if you turn your little handout over on the other side, if you want to follow along, I'll just read those steps. So step number one, there's a message, the good news. Number two, there's a messenger that's being sent. And then the messenger preaches or proclaims, delivers the message. And then that message is heard. The message is then believed, a sincere understanding, a genuine trust. Number six, the hearer calls on the name of the Lord. They profess that he is Lord. And then the hearer is saved. So this is the primary means by which the... Um, to save sinners. If someone is going to be saved, someone has to tell them. The preaching or proclaiming of the gospel by ones whom God sends. And here, can you hear and sense Paul's missionary heart? This is such an important and special position to be sent by God to deliver this message, the good news of Jesus Christ, speaking words of life, pastors, evangelists, missionaries, Paul echoes the prophet Isaiah in verse 15 by saying, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Um, Feet, I'm not too sure about you, but I don't find feet too beautiful. I'm not too fond of feet. Feet get cold, they get hot, they get stinky, they get sweaty. Corns, calluses, you know, rough skin, all that kind of stuff. And I, I can, missionary feet, preacher's feet, I'm sure they're not any different, but... Paul and nor Isaiah, they weren't referring to the appearance of the feet, but they were referring to actions instead. And if we take our books and open up to page 149, there's a little write-up about this verse 15. So on page 149, there's um, a little section underneath question 6 there. It says, how beautiful are the feet Isaiah 52.7 describes messengers running to announce to God's people that he is about to deliver them from exile in Babylon. Paul applies the quotation to preachers of the gospel who proclaim that God has delivered men from sin and death. According to Paul's quotation of Isaiah 52.7, which is our verse 15, two of the conditions for calling on Christ have been met in the case of first century Jews. Messengers have been sent and they have proclaimed the good news. These feet are beautiful because they are obedient. These feet are beautiful because they run through the desert over mountainsides carrying a message. These feet are beautiful because they bring joyous good news to sad and lost people. Pastors, evangelists, missionaries, they all have been sent to do just that. And we can support them not by only praying for them, but also financially supporting them as well, both of which Paul was wanting from the Christians in Rome. He was wanting their support as he planned to take the gospel to Spain. But our feet can be beautiful too. 
we too have the responsibility to reach out to lost people who need to hear the gospel message. In Matthew 28:19, we're told to go and make disciples of all nations. We have a responsibility and privilege as believers to care and love people so much, allowing ourselves to be used by God to be a light proclaiming the good news. But even with all these beautiful feet running around and these faithful messengers sharing truth, don't be discouraged because there will be rejection. Not everyone will believe. They will reject it. They will reject God's salvation and refuse to believe it. Let's read verses 18 to 21. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Israel heard. They heard the message, but Israel said, no, thank you. Israel decided to reject it. Israel had prophets. They had the law of God. They heard about the coming Messiah. They even had the Messiah there walking amongst them. They saw the Gentiles being saved, yet some Jews still refused to believe. They heard, they knew, yet they refused to believe. Going back to Gladys, she heard the truth in church. She knew the truth, but she refused to come to Jesus to fully understand his free gift and surrender to him. Not everyone will. Some won't accept or believe this, or believe, but this shouldn't stop us from delivering this message. God told Israel that he would bring others close to him and make them jealous. His judgment will make them angry and he will bless other nations. Israel ignored this word, breaking the covenant and continued to reject God. So God turned to save Gentiles instead. The Gentiles were foolish in a sense that they didn't understand, yet they believed. The Jews, who should have understood, they rejected Christ and his gospel. God has only one plan of salvation. The plan is to save us because we are sinners and sin separates us from God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God is the only one that can provide, provide us salvation through Jesus, who came and lived a sinless life died and became the perfect sacrifice for our sins and rose victoriously from the dead, demonstrating his power by conquering sin, death, and the grave. All we need to do is believe. It's not complicated, it's simple, and it's available to all people. So we can stop looking to check off all the right things to do to please God and earn his favor. Simply receive it by faith, fully trusting in Jesus alone as savior. That is God's plan of salvation for us. The question is, will you, will you freely receive it? And if you have, will you freely proclaim it? Pray to God that he will send you, that you could go out and make him known to others. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for loving us so much that even while we were still sinners, you sent Christ to die for us. It's such a relief to know that it's not based on our works or performance in order to gain your love. We don't have to check off all the boxes and get things done. It's simply grace through faith. We simply need to call on you and believe in you. And Lord, may we be known to have beautiful feet, beautiful feet that bring good news. May we not be ashamed of this message, keeping it to ourselves, but may we share it with our unsaved family and friends, walking, running into all the world, proclaiming your gospel to everyone, all our family, friends, for we know that it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So we ask that you be with us now as we go our separate ways. Encourage us by your power and your spirit, and may we be a light for you in this dark, lost world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. But before we go, take off your pieces of music again. We're not going to sing. I just want you to look at um, verse 4. My faith, the church.